How about that? So, invite someone to church on Easter. It does happen to be April Fool's Day. Hopefully, there won't be too many jokes going crazy that day. But invite your friends, uh, especially beginning Thursday as well, as we, that Thursday prior as we do our, our Passover picnic. Today, um, we don't have the fancy graphics up and all that stuff today, but we're going to begin a series, an Easter series called A Matter of Life and Death. What I want to do today is to kind of set the stage a little bit for Easter, to kind of go back to the beginning to, to be reminded of what Scripture says when it comes to why Christ had to come. Considering what we see in Scripture is this big dichotomy between death and life. And so I want to go back to the beginning today, and we're going we're gonna to take a look to begin with at Genesis chapter 2. And uh, I want to encourage you, I know that we always have things on the screen, but to, I want to change things, and at least for our culture, if you would, to, to bring your Bibles or to pull out your phone, okay? And just to have it in front of you as well. It'll be up on the screen always, <clears throat> but to me, there's something important about that, so that tactile experience, you know, kind of digging in and finding it for yourself. And so, in Genesis chapter 2, what we find here, we're going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You know, why, why is Easter necessary? Now, this is going to be a time of preparation for that Easter celebration, but why why is Easter necessary? We have Adam and Eve, okay? Adam and Eve, we find them in the Garden of Eden. We find them in this perfect, beautiful place. We, we hear that, that it says that God walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden, in this special place. So there's a unique relationship that God has with mankind from the very beginning. And I'm not spoiling the movie for you by telling you, of course, that that it doesn't stay that way. And what we see in Genesis chapter 2 is this. We see in verses 15 is where we're going to start. It says, The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die, okay? The day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. It's a really simple commandment. Hey, I've got all this other stuff for you, but just don't mess with that particular tree. Don't eat of its fruit. But later on, we see this in Genesis 3, verses 6 is where we're going to begin here. Adam and Eve find themselves kind of circling the tree and looking at its fruit and checking it out, right? Then in verse 6, it says this, So when the woman saw <coughs> that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So let's get past the, uh, the guy-gal jokes about who's responsible for this, okay? They were both there together, and they ate. It says, then the eyes of both 
were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, is this the first time Adam and Eve were naked? No. Okay. Thank you, Justin. No, they had been naked all along, but all of a sudden they discover something, right? All of a sudden they discover that they are naked. Isn't that a weird kind of thing? They've been naked the entire time, but all of a sudden there's this discovery that they're naked. So something had happened. Something among their consciousness had realized something wasn't right. And they're, they're what they needed to do when they saw that was they felt this need to sew fig leaves together and to make themselves loin coverings. Realizing that they were naked, their first instinct is to do what? Is to cover up. There's all of a sudden something that has to be covered up. And it's not their, their bodies, it's not the nakedness of their bodies, it's the realization that they had sinned, that they had done something wrong, and there's something that had to be covered up when there never had to be something covered up before. Because the joy of being in the garden with God was that everything was wide open and free. There was nothing hidden. It was complete peace. There were no need. There was no need for secrets. There was no need for distance. There was no need to, to, to keep things from other people. There was no need for any of that kind of stuff because Everything was wide open and known and, and perfect. But as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, they realized, as Scripture said, that they were naked and there was this need to cover. There was this need to hide. There's a conversation that takes place later on in the same chapter in Genesis between God and them saying, well, who told you you were naked? That's always God's way of kind of talking. You know, He always likes to ask questions. You see this in Jesus Jesus is asked question after question after question to kind of draw it out of you. You realize, hey, this is what's happened. Sin has caused already this need to cover up. And what sin ultimately caused here, when you read in Genesis, was this need for them to literally be kicked out of the Garden of Eden. What we see is a separation between mankind and God. Going all the way back to the beginning here because of sin. So sin has been a problem since Adam and Eve on. If you know the nature of sin, sin just kind of multiplies, if you will. It gets worse and it gets worse. And if Adam and Eve hadn't have done it, if it was you in the garden, you would have eventually done it as well. You can already point to your life and, and probably pick out several failures several sins in your life that you wish you had never done. But sin is this separating factor. Sin is this huge issue that has to be dealt with. How are we ever going to get back to the, before the tree? How are we ever going to get back to that place where we can be in 100% open communion with God and, and paradise and peace and love? You know, there's this aspect of sin that we see play out in Scripture that has to be dealt with for us to find peace, for us to find life. You can look at sin in your own life and, and look at the effects of it. 
outside of the, of the Garden of Eden, the things that you've done wrong. You can, you can think of those, those moments. And it, and it begins sometimes, you don't even realize it at an early age. I just had this, this story that the Lord reminded me of this morning <laughs> that popped into my head, even as a kid. You think of children as, as, as so innocent. But I remember as a kid that there was this area. Um, I lived in Green, New York at the time. And Green is this beautiful place. Diane's been able to, to go up there and see it. But there's this area called the Ball Flats, okay? And, uh, of course, it's where uh, you'd be able to go and play baseball. They had um, different, different fairs would come into town in this little area. But it's where you played baseball. It's where, uh, where all this, the, the juniors on up played baseball. And for some reason, I had to be five or six, I was playing down at the Ball Flats, and I came back with a baseball bat. Did not belong to me. I don't remember if my parents ever even questioned me about it. But even at the age of five or six, ever it was, I stole a baseball bat. Never, I, I, I say I never forget it. I forgot it until this morning. Lord's like, even at that age, okay, you messed up. What are the consequences for that? But sin is a, it's a huge issue, it's a problem, and it grows. Let's look at what it says in Romans chapter 6, 23, about the issue of sin. In Romans chapter 6, verses 23, we get a good idea of the effects of sin. There's scripture all the way through that we could look at, but this is one of the most common ones I'm sure you've heard before. It's a good reminder. It says in Romans 6, 23, it says that for the wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is death. Sin is not a wholesome thing. It's not a good thing. It's a thing that causes disease and separation from God, which is the worst thing. In James chapter 1, <coughs> verses, uh, verse 15, we see another example. We see kind of the picture of sin played out in this chapter. In James 1, 15, it says this, this is where it's good to have the electronic Bibles. It's faster to, to get there, right? So in 115, it says then, it's, this is talking about, let's back up to 14. It's not on the screen, but that's okay. 14 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. I need that baseball bat. <laughs> and verse 15 says, then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth what? It brings forth death. Sin starts out with that separation, but it, it leads to death. One of the things we see in Scripture, there's when Adam and Eve sin, I have to keep this in mind. First of all, they would have, they would have lived forever right? But now it says that they would die, but there's two kinds of death that we see because they ate from the apple, and they might, maybe that they misunderstood, but they didn't just drop dead physically, did they? They kept living, but they did eventually physically die. But there was an, a worse scenario that even took place, and that was that separation between them and God. It's what we would understand as, as a spiritual death. People that, that are not saved, they're not believers, that are not Christians, 
do not have a relationship with God because there is, this, there is what the Bible describes as a spiritual death there. It's a darkness. It's a separation between man and God. Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. So death is something that has to be dealt with. Sin is something that, that has to be dealt with. And we're going to look at some passages here in Romans in a moment. But I want us to, before we get to, there, to that, to take a look at John chapter 11. <clears throat> so if you would turn there. I don't know if I even put that in there. I don't think I did in the computer. So John chapter 11, we have this amazing story. Jesus is on the scene, and He has done miracle after miracle, proving and, and showing who He is. And what we find in John chapter 11 is it's a story of Lazarus. I'm going to read through it. It says in John chapter 11, verse 1, it says that a certain man was ill. Lazarus of, of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary, the one who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Something was going to happen to Lazarus that that Jesus was going to show the glory of God through. He says, now, Jesus loved Martha and her, and, and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And that's what you do, right? If you love someone, you know they're sick, you hesitate for two more days before you show up. Like, what's going on, Jesus? Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you want to go back? You want to go back there again? They're trying to kill you, now you want to go to Judea. And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. <laughs> if he's asleep, he's going to wake up. It's funny how we try to teach God some things, don't we? We know better, or do we? Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, or Didymus in some of your translations, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. That's interesting. They just felt like if he was going to go back to Judea, Jesus, this is going to be it. They tried to stone him last time. We're going back here again. So let's just all go and, and, and die with Jesus. That's how intense this moment is. It says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. 
That's key. And that's why Jesus waited. There was this belief among the Jews that the spirit of one's body would kind of, I don't know what the right words are, but be around, hang around, hover, I don't know whatever you want to call it, but the belief was that the body and the, the spirit of the body could be around for about three days. But after that, there was, it was gone. There was nothing that could be done with that person. If he wasn't, you know, if he wasn't already dead, he's really dead now. You know, there is no hope, okay? And so four days, four days had taken place. It says, Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Well, you know, he's been dead for four days now, so... The, you know, at the end, when the Lord comes back, if you will, yeah, he'll, he'll rise again. That wasn't what Jesus was talking about, was he? But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. It's a key verse this morning. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one who brings things back to life. I am the one who gives life. He says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. We serve a God of the impossible, don't we? And it says, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. It's one of the things, uh, one of the greatest quotes I, I read recently this past week with Billy Graham passing away. It's a quote that Billy Graham had. He said, if anyone tells you that Billy Graham is dead, they're a liar. <laughs> you just need to realize that I just moved my, I just put in my change of address. Even though you die, you, you still live, okay? Says, Jesus said, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. That's really not what Jesus said, but sure, okay. Do you believe this? says, then, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and calling for you. And, and when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. That Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, your brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Next verse, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them have said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? 
Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. You read the story of Lazarus, it's just eerily similar in some ways, isn't it? When we think about Jesus being in the grave and the stone being rolled against the entrance, and, and here's Lazarus, his friend, who's been in the tomb, actually, in this case, for four days. Jesus says, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. After four days, the body's beginning to decay, and he's going to stink. Lord, what are you doing? Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Pretty incredible story where Jesus has done all these miracles, and he comes to this one before the plot takes place to really gather Jesus, before everything happens where he's taken to the cross, and he does this one grand miracle. He's been healing people. He's been bringing demons out of people. He's been walking on water. He's been doing all kinds of things, but this, this last grand miracle is him raising Lazarus from the dead. From death to life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is important for us as we consider what Easter is about. Because Easter is about Jesus rising from the dead, showing victory over death. But it's also about us. It's about what Jesus has has done for us, but there is, as believers in Christ, what what Scripture says this morning about us dying with Him. I want you to to take a look at some of these. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, this one is in there uh, for the computer. Romans 8, 11, let's take a look at that, if you would flip there. We mentioned this passage last week or the week before, and it says this, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if you're a believer in Christ, that same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead dwells in us, right? It says, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Let's look at another passage in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Going back to Romans, I think we'll just hang out in Romans the rest of the time. Romans chapter 8 again. Chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And it goes on later in that chapter. We look at Romans 8, 31 through 39. It says this, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. At the beginning, we were talking about sin causing what? Causing a separation, causing death. Because of the resurrection of Christ, there is no longer the power of death. There is no longer any condemnation. There is no longer any separation. It says, no, in all these things, in verse 37, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing, nothing, not even ourselves, can separate us from the love of Christ. I want to read one final passage to you and we'll be finished. Turn backwards to Romans chapter 6. Let's look at verse 3, chapter 6, verse 3. It says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, that we too might walk in newness of life. 
Baptism has always been a symbol of, of what Christ has done, dying on the cross and raising from the grave. But what we learn in Romans chapter 6 is in some mysterious way that we died with Him and that we rose with Him. And by the power of the Spirit of God, we are able to walk now in newness of life, a brand new life. As we consider the resurrection of Christ, as we consider the life that He gives, I want you to, as we go through this month, keep that picture in your mind of dying with Christ and, and, and being raised with Christ. Because what this says, and I encourage you to, to read Romans 6 today, read the rest of it, it talks about that old life is gone. We read about that in 1 Corinthians, right? 5.17, right? The old is gone and the new has what? Say it. It's come. We're new creations in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. We are able, according to this verse in Romans, to walk in newness of life. And what you find in the rest of Romans as you read through it is, is that we need to live that way. The old body... Of, of doing sinful things, the old mentality of being Adam and Eve, staring at the tree, grabbing the fruit, is gone. That life, that old life is dead, and it's gone. We're new creatures in Christ. We walk in newness of life. Sometimes we get discouraged, we forget that. Sometimes we go through hard times, we forget that. Because of Jesus, though, we walk in newness of life. And Jesus said what in that other passage? I am the resurrection and the life. I bring things back from the dead and I give life. What are the things that need to be restored? What are the things that need to be brought back from the dead? if you will, in your life? What are the things that need life? The God that we serve is not a God of death. He's a God of life. He's a God of resurrection. He's a God of new beginnings. He's a God of second chances. He's not a God of darkness. He's a God of light. He's a God of love. He's a God of grace. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we celebrate as you move towards Easter, begin to dwell on those things. Think and ask the Lord to teach you what it means that the Holy Spirit indwells us. The same Spirit that rose Christ from the grave lives within us. Continue to ask Him on a daily basis what that means. How? Do we walk in that newness of life? We know the Bible teaches it's because of His Spirit that indwells us. The Bible says that you don't need a teacher. So you don't need me. But you do need the Holy Spirit. And it will show you what that means. Because there's some areas, I guarantee you, that all of us are struggling with. Some areas we feel like we're dead. Some areas we feel like it's darkness some things that need to be 
brought to the light, some things that need to be resurrected, some things we need the power of God to, to, to infuse life into, to bring life, to bring healing, to bring the power of God to. Don't let Easter this year just be just another holiday. Let's, let's get prepared for Easter realizing and knowing what it is we're celebrating. And that He is the resurrection and the life in, in, in every regard. You pray with me? Lord Jesus, this morning we, we thank you, Lord, for the story of Lazarus. That, Lord, when things seem hopeless, things seem dark. As Mary and Martha are there surrounded by, by other friends that are just crying and grieving, Lord, that you come in and you bring life. You bring resurrection. You bring hope. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, I pray that, that your word truly comes alive to us this week. Lord, that we know more from you what it means to walk in newness of life. That we know what it means, Lord, to, to walk with your spirit living inside of us and the power that's available to us. Lord, help us to understand that. Show us, Lord, how, how to allow you to, to work, how to get out of the way, I guess. Lord, help us to, to live <clears throat> in that life and that love that you give us by the power of your spirit this week. Lord, we know that if that you're in control, we give you control, Lord, that um, we live a life that exhibits the fruit of your Spirit. Lord, we desire a life that's full of, of those things, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, God. Lord, it's, you've given us everything we need. Well, we pray that your spirit reigns within us this week. Lord, that you teach us what it means to, to live and to walk in newness of life. Lord, get us prepared to truly celebrate this Easter. Lord, we thank you that you're not a, you weren't just a man. You're not a God who's dead, but you're alive. We thank you that you're in control today and that you're on your throne, that you love us, you walk with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.